You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because our careers as Instagram models didn't quite work out how we had hoped. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the answer to the question, who dat? And our <laughs> special guest this week, Chris of the Postmodern Polymass Podcast, the bearded bastion of beating buffoonery. Both of you, how are you doing this week? And, and, I gotta put out my question that I always do. Okay. You're at a stadium for mm. stadium food. Are you going for peanuts or sunflower seeds? Oof. Uh, well, I'll go first, Chris, if you don't mind. Uh, I would go for peanuts because sunflower seeds. I have seen people in Spain. They they <laughs> eat them with the husks on. And there was a guy who... Pardon? They, they eat them with like the They just the eat the whole sunflower seeds? They don't spit out the shell? No, they do. But then, so the, what I'm saying is the guy, the, the way they eat them, he like, he'd twist it off with his tooth. But he'd eaten so many over the years that he had like made a groove in his tooth that was specifically for <laughs> sunflower seeds. So that scares me. I'm going with peanuts. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I can follow on that. Um, so... Peanuts. Uh, my dad was a peanut fan, and he would drink beer, and so you know, fond memories of unsalted <laughs> peanuts, cracking them open, cry and nostalgia. And, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And uh, thank you for the alliteration when the, <laughs> when bringing me on. Oh, that wasn't your thing. I assumed I assumed that was your introduction <laughs> that you've given Kevin specifically. I I don't give Kevin enough. No. <laughs> That was me spending half an hour trying to find four B words that I could put in a row and wouldn't make me sound like Patton Oswalt's uh, B guy. Uh, but anyways, thank you for coming on the show with us this week, Chris. It's great to have you on. By the way, I'm a peanut guy, too. Uh, it's something about going to a baseball game and just tossing peanut shells all over the place. And the reason I thought of that this week was I, I bought a bag of peanuts the other day when I ran to the grocery store. So now my entire apartment, because I have hardwood floors, is covered in the little uh, the little paper that goes on top of the peanuts inside the shell. It's just everywhere. It's a nightmare, but uh, I've been enjoying it. But anyways, this is, of course, the show where we dig through the blood diamond fields of Africa looking for the shining gem of capitalist right-wing thought that is the, the, what we get from Glenn Beck this yeah. week, basically. That is it. That is it. Isms are bad, except the ones that I don't examine. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's start it off anyways this week. Benedict, do you have a hot take for us? Uh, I do, and it is that it is too cold and it should get warmer. That is literally my hot take is that it should be like hotter. I feel like you've used that like nope, five times nope, already. Nope, I haven't. I've used the it should stop snowing. 
we're definitely doing that. It should get warmer and it should just like global warming is fine at this point. I've reached the stage of winter. Is this going to where... be the entirety of your spring? Just yep. every week. It should get warmer. It should, it should yep. get warmer. Yep. 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 But also it. pollen shouldn't exist. I don't care if the bees die. I don't care if we have mass e- God, so <laughs> ecological British. disaster. You're so unbearably pollen, British. Pollen is a mess for me. I can't deal with it. I have all the allergies in the world. Everyone should suffer like I do. I was going to say, Great Britain, you're always cold. Why don't you quit yeah. But it's never that. <laughs> See, <laughs> that, that still holds. That criticism no, okay, still hold holds. On. The, the thing with Great Britain is it's never that cold. Like, it's never, like, New York cold. Like, it gets down to, like, 30 degrees, and we complain about it, but that's it. The problem with the UK is it's just yes. grey all the fucking time. Right. Like, it's just grey. Like, it's grey from, like... I would describe it as dank, even though dank. I've never been there. Not in a good way, though. It's not... It's, uh, it's grey no, from, like, dank September. Dank in a bad way. September through, Once. like, April. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's me. Are you going to ask me the question, Benedict? You dick. No. <laughs> yeah, no, Kevin, you're not do you have ask? a hot take? You're just going to leave it sitting there like that? Do you have a hot take, Kevin? Well, my hot take this ask. week. <laughs> my hot take this week uh, is that uh, I think cultural appropriation going backwards, if there's a word for that, uh, can be a delightful thing. And this is always, as it always is, based on my year of the anime, where I am watching every single anime I can get my hands on um, and have found I've loved the vast majority of them so far. Uh, And uh, I found that there's this weird thing that happens with uh, Japanese anime where they don't have very many Christians in their country, but they sure love Christianity as a fictional concept. And I find it immensely amusing as someone who grew up in the United States is now, you know, an atheist and doesn't really care watching them get close but then just go way off track and not get it not not have <laughs> anywhere near it's like what we do with everything eastern right where we we use like buddhism and stuff in in uh in our um, our fiction and all that like we take 47 ronin and put keanu reeves in it that kind of shit except yeah. it's delightful when they do it <laughs> yeah no colonizer mentality when they do it yeah exactly exactly yeah. Uh, but anyways, why don't we move on a little bit? Benedict, what should they read rather than the crap we go through? What's on your bookshelf this week? So for me, I have Liar Temptress Soldier Spy, which is a deliberate play off of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's by Karen Abbott. Um, also read all of John le Carre. John le Carre is brilliant. Good fun as a writer. Um, the best spy novels I've read, I think, John le Carre. A little more literary, but I like that. As you know, I'm a I'm an elitist, so I know you're a snob. <laughs> you're very much a snob. Yeah, but but this is fun. Chris, like you a, got anything well, uh, to suggest on, to the people? Yet. I, I'm hold cutting on. you off. I'm cutting hold Benedict off. I don't me. care don't what you have to say. Yeah, cut me off. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank Let the you, man Chris. speak. Let Thank the man. you, Chris. <laughs> enough of British being cut off by Americans. I've had enough of this. Um, yeah, Light Temptress Soldier Spy. It's it's about four women in the Civil War, and it tells each of their stories differently. There you go. There's a there's a high level summation for you. I'm glad we continued on with that explanation of the book. Chris, do you have anything you want to suggest for our people out there? It doesn't have to be a book. I hardly ever suggest books. Uh, but something that would be much better than what we read this week. Well, um, I kind of stalled out, but I was rereading the entire Dune uh, series. for the, Of course, um, the movie um, coming, um, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm on God Emperor, which is like the fourth book, but I kind of stalled out a little bit. <laughs> I think the consensus is there's no point in reading anything past the third one. Nah, so nah, it sort of makes okay. sense. You would say that. You would say that. <laughs> and I would say maybe on the first, second, and third, and fourth time. But, sir, 
<laughs> the fifth time is magic. Yeah. <laughs> How you many really are there? start to understand it the fifth time through. They're still um, writing them, right? How many are there? No. Frank his Herbert's son, been no, dead for son, like 30 his years. He's written some, though. Yeah. Okay. So the originals, there's, uh, I want to say, seven. And anything that's written by his fucking got can I curse on this? Oh, yes, right. absolutely. All you want for his ill-begotten shithead son <laughs> and whatever that crap author he pulled out of. Well, he wasn't obscure, but he was just garbage. He just—it's horrible. All those books are horrific. Don't read any of them. That mm-hmm. Frank Herbert didn't write. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, anything. Well, I see he claims there were notes. Okay, sir, if there are notes, there is sure as fuck wanting 20 books worth or however many <laughs> he's fucking written. Produce Why don't you do like notes. Christopher Tolkien, who actually was, you know, who took his father seriously and actually wanted to show people what he wrote instead of take it and try to make money off it, you jackass. There you go. Sorry, go ahead. So, so Chris's recommendation is fuck Frank Herbert's son. <laughs> well, there goes any chance of us ever being sponsored by the estate of Frank Herbert. Uh, What's yours, Kevin? For me this week, I'm recommending another anime. Uh, I'm recommending uh, one I watched recently. I, I'm like six episodes into it. Uh, it's called Case File Number 221 Kabuchiko. Um, it's a modern retelling of Sherlock Holmes set in Tokyo. Um, it's delightful. I'm not sure how I feel about some aspects of the series because it's got some issues with LGBT people where I'm like, I can't tell if you're portraying them in a good light or not because uh, they're all the, the flamboyant um, uh, stereotypes is, is what all they are, but they're all treated like part of this group and, and it's, I can't figure out how I feel about it. So I'm sure by the time I'm done with the series, I'll, I'll know more how I feel about it. let us know. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was an interesting enough series, and I think it's a, a good take on the, sh- you know, a good modern redoing of Sherlock Holmes. There's so many of them that are done badly, but I thought this one actually was done very interestingly in a creative way. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But how do we move on a little bit? We got just a little bit of housekeeping this week. First off, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Always go ahead and do that. Follow us on all the social medias. And of course, we have to welcome our newest patron, Allison, over at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Allison, thank you for becoming a patron of the show. And with all of that out of the way, we return to our book review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck, Rice Cake's Dry Boring Uncle. Benedict, (laughs) what do we read this week? Sorry, did you just call him Uncle Glenn? No, he's a Rice Cake's Dry Boring Uncle. Yeah, which makes him Uncle Glenn, which is just funny because it's like Uncle Ben. Okay, thank. Well, there we go. I was unaware that Uncle Ben oh. ever made rice cakes. I was unaware of that fact. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. But it's a rice-related. Listen, we've explained the joke yeah. Yeah. that I yeah. found. No, we got to keep burning it into the ground now. That's the rule. Anyway, this week, Kevin, I know you were about to ask. I know you were curious. What did we read this week? That's what you were going to ask. That's in fact what I asked, and you did not answer. I interrupted you because I had something more important to say. (laughs) So this week, Kevin, we read chapter three. Is socialism just sharing and caring? In which Glenn cosplays as Karl Marx. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Karl Marx is a persistent character throughout this chapter. And when you remember that it's Glenn Beck writing his words, yeah, that's, that's basically Karl Marx cosplay. Uh, Do we have, Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? 
I do, and it's just shakes fist Venezuela. <laughs> yes, yes, accurate. And mine uh, is also in the uh, the raised voice, which I don't want to yell too loud in my apartment. But everything is marks. Um, is the gist of this chapter. So we start off this chapter with the usual cartoon. We can't have one of these without a cartoon. And this week, it's a six-panel cartoon. Uh, and the, the, the roster of characters we have in this are uh, uh, presumably uh, Chairman Mao. Very subtle. Uh, Joseph, Very subtle. Yeah, yeah, Chairman Mao, Joseph Stalin, Hitler, and then below them, we have Bernie, AOC, and Elizabeth Warren. Those are the cast yep. of characters. And I have to mention right off the bat that of the six figures that are drawn in this cartoon, the only three that are not drawn intentionally insulting are Mao, Stalin, and Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how you end up doing that, but you did that, buddy. Uh, yeah, Stalin looks like a, a friendly old uncle. He really he? does, yeah. It's, it's sort of strange. Chris, Chris, what did you think of the cartoons? <laughs> As someone um, new to Glenn Beck. Uh, you're abs- I didn't even notice that before, but you're absolutely correct. They gave a, the the good stuff to uh, the three dictators. Yep. And apparently apparently, uh, our beloved barely left of center freaking socialist types get the caricature uh yeah it's the the slack jawed extra sized ears you know really large lips that sort of thing uh that you do to draw someone insultingly they did that with with aoc bernie and elizabeth uh but of course not the dictator so the the quotes we have from the them are uh, mao saying a revolution is an insurrection an act of violence by which one class overthrows another probably wishing he could go and take back that insurrection comment now. Uh, Stalin is telling us you cannot lead a revolution with silk gloves. Hitler is saying the result of the revolution in Germany has been to establish a democracy in the best sense of the word. And then Bernie telling us, we need a new vision for America, which I call democratic socialism. We need a political revolution where millions of people stand up, fight, and demand a government which works for all of us. AOC saying we need a revolution of working class people at the ballot box and it needs to be a multiracial, multigendered, inclusive revolution without white guys. And then Elizabeth Warren saying, I have a plan for that. Classic. Ha ha ha. That's just Very a poorly good. done. That's just that's not the best we've gotten in this book. And I'm no, I have a feeling also, it's going to be the just... worst one we will get. Yeah, I would just like to say, um, none of the things that the three on the underneath are saying are bad or even yes. that related to the things <laughs> exactly, that are in the top panel. Exactly, exactly. Right. I'm sorry, that's a, that sounds immensely reasonable. <laughs> right, Bernie. Glad Boo! Do that. <laughs> Boo! Socialism! Yeah, yeah, Bernie and AOC used the word revolution. I guess that's the extent of the comparison there. Uh, it is. What he's trying to do is say, like, this political revolution, like, these are the dictators that resulted from a revolution, and here they are acknowledging the fact that you can't do a peaceful revolution, so this is the end goal of all these people that are calling for a political revolution. That's what he's trying right. to do. So these people who are using obvious. revolution as a metaphor, just they just don't understand that that can't be done without violence, metaphorically. Yeah. All right, let's, let's do this goddamn chapter. Yes. So we begin the chapter... <laughs> With a quote from Ludwig von Mies, who I brought up uh, several times as uh, one of Glenn Beck's favorites. He quotes him throughout this book, and I'm sure we're probably going to get plenty of them. It's, there's no reason to read the whole thing out loud. It's pretty boring. It's just about uh, how they want to basically create a giant bureaucracy, and that's apparently evil. So you know how that goes. 
I, I, one, one quick thing. He, he compares it negatively to the post office. Yeah. And as always on this podcast, I am the post office's <laughs> main defender. The post office is a goddamn miracle. You can spend like a dollar to send a piece of paper to somebody else's house and it takes like a day and a half. Are you yes, fucking yes, kidding? Yeah. That is a miracle. I just had to go mail uh, uh, my copy of the last book we did to one of our patrons. It cost me three dollars. To mail a book across the country. That is, you're right, a miracle. I don't know if European postal rates are what they used to be, but I remember they've been a lot higher yeah. than having to send anything here in the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. is really, a, the post office, like, yeah, you have to wait in line sometimes, but mostly you don't, actually. Like, it's a little annoying when you do. And then, like, it's a, it's incredible, the post office. And, like, sometimes they lose some shit, fine, whatever. So do all businesses. So shut the fuck up. Also, like, everyone's like, UPS. How much mail goes through there? Yeah, exactly. UPS also costs, like, $20 to do stuff. And they don't deliver to places that are difficult to get to. Whereas the post office, like, you've got one dude, like, jogging up a massive fucking hill in the snow (laughs) to deliver you your mail in the middle of December. Are you kidding? That's a miracle. So we start off this chapter, and this goes back to what Benedict said, I think, his alternate chapter title, about isms. He's going to start off talking about isms at the beginning of this chapter because we know all isms are evil except for the isms that Glenn likes. So he's talking about yeah, socialism. Yeah, we leave out capitalism yeah. and libertarianism, yeah. <laughs> and he actually says, quote, you haven't made it until you become an ism. And he puts out as his examples, and my impression is these are supposed to be bad things, but the examples he uses are feminism, prohibitionism, spiritualism, pacifism, and abolitionism <laughs> one of those things is not like the other there's Horrible. a weird little tint going on there but he continues on a little bit further down the page quote in our time there isn't a single ism that has gathered more attention or created more confusion than socialism despite all the yelling and screaming about socialism that has occurred over the past few years on radio cable news networks and on the com- campaign trail I'm convinced that most people still have absolutely no clue what socialism really means and how we can have important, potentially world-changing conversations about ideas about socialism without first agreeing on a common meaning. This is Glenn being like, we need to define socialism, but goddammit, we're doing it on my terms. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're absolutely right, Glenn. Now shut the fuck up and let somebody say it who actually knows what they're talking about. Well, he gave us a definition of socialism in his first chapter, it was an equally bad definition to what he's going to present here. He doesn't even really try and present a definition here because I think he recognizes he did that already in this book. But his definitions in the first chapter, if we flash back and remember, were basically all socialism is Soviet-style communism. It was basically yeah. what he was getting at there. Oh, well, yeah. we, we're done. Fuck. This. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Shit. And that's basically the argument he's going to make throughout this chapter is all today's socialists, AOC and Bernie and them, they say they're into democracy and freedom, but really they want to come in like Mao or Stalin and take everything away from you with their taxes and everything. As a a trained linguist, (laughs) I'm going to let you guys in on a a, a little Mm. secret. And I don't know if Glenn knows this. I assume he doesn't. Sometimes the meaning of words changes with the context of the times what (laughs) how dare you suggest such a thing (laughs) it offends my strict textualist sensibilities (laughs) he presents this weird little um gallup poll i think it is where he's like well people i gotta start before you get to that want it to be 
Go ahead. Well, before Benedict, before you get to that, I want to start with the the first tweet of the chapter, right? I like to use these tweets to guide us through the chapters because they present what he's going to be talking about. To anchor us. They're, to they're like us. his subheadings, basically. So the first tweet we get is from Neil DiCaprio Cortez at Green Noon Neil, still one of my favorites, and it is at Glenn Beck. Of course people know what socialism is. It's literally one of the most widely talked about topics in the United States today and really throughout the entire world. And that's then he goes to that Gallup report you were talking about. Um, yeah, so the, the, he introduces this Gallup poll where basically he accuses people of not knowing what socialism is and doesn't, doesn't even examine the possibility that he doesn't know what socialism is in a modern <laughs> context. It's like, oh, well, I, I know what it is. So there we, that, therefore, I think, therefore I am. He's one of the great philosophers of our, of our time, as we all know. And yeah, I mean, you could do the same, I'm sure, with capitalism, in which you go, hey, guys, what's capitalism? And you get a hundred different answers from a hundred people. Like, it, it, whenever you ask a group a question, as shown by Family Feud, you will get different answers. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. And the example he gives about that is where he says, quote, perhaps most, and I think the one that elucidates what Glenn thinks most clearly is, quote, perhaps most interestingly, only 17% of those surveyed by Gallup said socialism is government con ownership or control, government ownership of utilities, everything controlled by the government, state control of business. I think he's playing pretty clearly that that's what Glenn thinks socialism is. And we've we've been over it plenty of times with him. I'm pretty sure that's what he thinks socialism is. Yeah, I don't yeah, think I... he knows what some words mean. Okay, so he he tries to, like, mix them together. Like like you said, yes, state – I think utilities should be state-owned. I mean, that's just, to mm -hmm. me, a given, right? Yeah. But then state control of businesses – whoa, back up, buddy. Let's – you know, no. That's a whole right. different issue. And in previous chapters, he has tried to shit on, uh, you know, so-called Scandinavian, uh, Scandinavian type socialism is the, the scare words he'll use for it. And what he points out, and what I think is somewhat correct, is that in the Scandinavian countries, they don't own all the businesses, but they're heavily socialist yeah. in distribution. Right. And, and so he's in, unable to comprehend that that is, in fact what most of the people who call themselves socialists today mean and want. Certainly democratic socialists, who he goes on to, to shit on as the largest, again, he says largest socialist group in America, again, debatable whether they're truly socialist in, right. the, in the way that he says. Um, certainly some of them are, but... The, the groups he uses to try and talk about what democratic socialists want is a little problematic in their ability to be compared oh, yeah. to democratic socialists in the United States. Yeah. One of them, yeah. which we'll uh, get to. Spoil yeah. Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, he, he talks about the Socialist Party of Great Britain, which <laughs> I had never fucking heard of. No, and trust me, I did the research. I know more about them. Don't worry about it. We'll get to it. Good stuff. So, of course, he implies once again that it's all about collectivism. That's what the socialists are all really into. And rather insultingly to me, he uses a bunch of Ferris Bueller quotes. Um, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, really. And I, I think part of it, it's all in the brain dumps. I've decided that all these little sticky notes stuck on the page and tangents he goes off to on the side, I'm calling them brain dumps. I think we decided that. Oh, on the, you decided yeah, that. I think you? we decided that, that was, on the that Patreon. That was your idea, that not, not the joke that I made, that you were like, Look, yes, that's the They're you dumps, made it. all right. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you may, you may have dumps. come up with the term, but I'm the one who decided it's what I'm going to use. Uh -huh. So that's, that's what yeah. we're rolling with here. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of these, these fair, there's a, you know, a full drawing of Ferris Bueller thrown in here. Um, but, of course, he just pulled it out because there's a, a line that references socialism in Ferris Bueller. Um, anyways, it doesn't really matter. 
But we get to the next tweet in the chapter, which is from Clay Guevara at Coffee Shop Commie. And it is, quote, Socialism is the most equitable, fair, and just way to organize society. It eliminates poverty, improves life for the poorest among us, and ensures no one is left to die penniless in the street. Socialism is all about fairness. In socialism, everyone has equal opportunity and rights. Okay. Um, I don't see this as a... Yeah. You're, thank you. I well, don't know... He, <laughs> He, he takes that, and remember, he's writing all these tweets. He's literally arguing with himself. Oh, wait, I cannot he, stress that enough. These aren't his tweets? I mean, these aren't just, like, random tweets? No, no. No, no, he's written all of these. This is, like, his literal straw man. Yes. Like, these are his straw well, tweets. These are his straw <laughs> tweets. <laughs> what a pathetic little man. Oh. He can't win an argument in real life, so he has to argue with himself in order to win. Is Alex Jones available? What the fuck? (laughs) They'd end up agreeing and going out for a beer. Yeah, that wouldn't be any fun. Even though Beck's Mormon, they'd end up going out for a beer. Um, So he uses that tweet to jump into a discussion of Karl Marx. (laughs) Karl Marx biography. And how all socialism is Marxism. Because he, again, does not understand the difference. Also, as if as if the idea of socialism sprang like un un unprompted from Marx's <laughs> brain, formed. like like yeah, Athena wasn't from the- doesn't even mention um, Engels literally, like and not no word on millionaire factory owner <laughs> Engels. Look, you got to have a little bit of sympathy for Engels just because he never gets any of the credit. But the dude wrote some words. Dude wrote down some words, and he he definitely helped keep Marx from starving to death, you know, so... Engels funded Marx's whole life. <laughs> I know. Like, literally. I know. <laughs> I just feel... It's, it's the same way I feel about Nate Silver, where everyone fucking hates Nate Silver, <laughs> but he's just this nerdy dude who wants to do statistics and really likes baseball, and he just says stupid stuff because he's a dumb nerd who doesn't know how to talk to people. <laughs> and everyone hates Nate Everyone Silver. hates Not Nate Silver. Not everyone. Carl Engels uh, is the Nate Silver of Marxism. That's what it is. <laughs> gotcha. So yes, we get a brief overview of Karl Marx's life because everything is Marxism, and that's when we get, for the first time, the ghost of Karl Marx appearing on the stage. <laughs> this is the first of like five, right? Or There's may- at least three. Yeah, it is all throughout this chapter. He keeps bringing back the ghost of Karl Marx, and I gotta say, I do find it mildly entertaining the drawing they did. Um, is actually, I, I thought it was a good little drawing of a, a ghost Karl Marx. I thought it was decent. Uh, but he, the only reason he uses Karl Marx is either to put direct quotes from Marx in the brain dump to fill up page space, because that's, that's really what it's about, is filling page space, or to put Glenn's own words in Marx's mouth and have him say something sarcastically. That's the use of, of the ghost of Karl Marx throughout this chapter. <laughs> Jesus is right. <laughs> I mean, really... Why can't you take responsibility for your own delusions? I mean, why do you got to try to foist them off on some ghost who can't fucking talk for himself? My favorite bit is the the level of projection that he does in the first one where he ends it with, God, I love to hear myself talk. Yes. Which, like, come on, dude. You're a conservative <laughs> radio host. Like, yeah, you he's must a- know how that looks. <laughs> A, you're right. He's a radio host. B, he did it in a book that is 50 times longer than the Communist Manifesto. It really, it, there's some pr- supreme also, irony there. 
not only that, but is the written word <laughs> and not, not, about, not literally someone talking out loud. Yes. So, look, we get a little bit of, you know, like basic Republican understanding of Marx, right? The very surface level stuff. There's, there's no depth to his understanding of Marx whatsoever at all. Or the fact yeah, that there really aren't but- any actual Marxists these days. I'll, find, I'll I'll give well, you a Richard there, Wolf. There are some. I'll give you a Richard Wolf, there and that's are, about there, it. There are some, but also like again, like pre- present the most like the bit of Marx that would make most people go, yeah, probably. <laughs> like again, once again, you're you're like trying to strawman someone by presenting their most reasonable argument, and what it is here is that the, the history of the world is the history of the clash between the classes, which I don't think is wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. He's claiming to straw man, but to me, it's steel manning because you're you're <laughs> presenting the best arguments. Thank you. He absolutely does want everybody to, you know, live fairly and get what they're what they need to fucking actually survive. You know, I'm sorry. Was that a bad thing? Would I'm sorry. Was I in the wrong place? What's happening? You know. Well, and certainly up to Marx's time, you could broadly define a lot. I when people get into absolutes of like everything is about blank. You know, when you get into those people who, who are really into Marx, they're, everything is about class struggle. You get into some people who everything is about race. You get into some other. And, and you know, in my mind, there are combinations of different factors all over the place that lead to all these different mm-hmm. conflicts. But, like, there is, up to Marx's time, a lot could be described as having been about class struggles. When you had a period of, of rulers who had all of the wealth and kept everyone else down, yeah, I think you broadly could say that was the case. Certainly in Europe, which is the context in which it was written. Right, right. So he tells us that modern socialist groups, they have different ideas about just how much property should be collectively owned. But they all generally agree that socialism is only possible with collective ownership. I'm sorry, what? what? I'm sorry, did I mishear you? Can you repeat that, please? Well, I'll just read the quote from him directly. It is, quote, (laughs) I'm Glenn Beck, I'm a dummy, I don't know what I'm talking about. Is okay. that cleared up for you? Oof. All right, I'm just making sure I got that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and then to to distinguish, to go on with this point, he starts spending a little bit of time talking about collective ownership and the groups he brings up to show how these modern socialists are all about collective ownership. There's two of them. The first one, as Benedict mentioned earlier, is the Socialist Party of Great Britain. Now, Benedict, you said Not you had never heard of this party. Is that correct? I've heard of them barely, but like we have a what used to be a very socialist mainstream party in the uk which is the labor party and 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 still is like left further left than anything in the u.s definitely they've gotten declawed recently though uh jeremy yeah seems to to have taken a bit of a nose down i would argue though it's right-wing people who are knocking him out of power right but what i would what i would point out is that even though uh, there is a, a socialist party of the UK. Glenn Beck, I'm 100% sure, I've never heard him say this, but I'm sure he would and has described the Labour Party in the UK as socialists. I'm 1,000% oh, sure. sure of that. So the reason... And, and also, it's the fucking Labour Party. Yeah. Of course it's a socialist So why party. would he have to go but to this was. party for his example? Well, the reason is... Because there are five of them. <laughs> there are five people in this party. There are... Why. Well, as part of my research, I did discover there are they approximately all live in the same house and collectively <laughs> own it. There are approximately 500 members of the Socialist Party yeah. of Great Britain, and they have Sounds never right. won in a, a single election in the entirety of their history, which spans back to 1917. That's not right. 
<laughs> that can't be right. The socialist, the socialist party is yeah, the Labour Party has. The socialist party yes. has never won an election because the Labour Party existed. So exactly. There wasn't really, and which used to be a very socialist party. So there was no need for a specifically socialist party. Right, and and if you want to go even just a little bit left of the Labour Party, you have options in the UK that are much less obscure than the Socialist Party of the UK. Yeah. We have a you have the Lib Dems. Just go to the Lib Dems pretty, if you want to go lefty. a little bit further. Yeah. No, the, the 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 Lib Dems are centrist. All right, um, I don't know. But I, the, I, the Green Party is pretty leftist, and they've won seats in the past. Sure. Yeah, the Green Party. You know, I I never. Your country's stupid. I don't get how it works. But uh, even though I studied it in undergrad for political science, I can't remember all these complicated names. You should have two parties. Shouldn't you learn that from the United States? His other example he goes to is the Socialist Party of the United States, which says in its platform, quote, Socialism is not mere government ownership, a welfare state, or a repressive bureaucracy. Socialism is a new social and economic order in which workers and consumers control production and community residents control their neighborhoods, home, and schools. Benedict, I'm going to give you a guess. How many members in the United States do you think the Socialist Party USA has? Oof. 27 and a man named Colin who's not sure. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I like the idea that you have an option for membership, which is not sure. Someone joins your member, your organization as a not sure. I like, I like the idea. He's that. there on a trial basis. <laughs> they have 1,500 members nationwide and a total no, of uh, four individuals who have ever been elected or appointed to office. Uh, one of them, actually two of them, are both members of uh, local school boards. Uh, and two of them were appointed to selective service boards. That's it. That's what? that's what they have. This is that's the ex a thing. Yeah, that's Sorry. a thing. That's a thing. How do you think about it? Okay. Yeah, right. You and I, we had to. Right, Benlick didn't. He didn't have to register. But you and I. I'm a hundred years old. Right. So. I had to. I didn't. I don't have right. voting rights, and they were like, "You have to I sign up for you the did. army yeah. in case we go to war." <laughs> I had to. Bullshit. It is right. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So those are the grady examples he gives us to tell us how modern socialists are all about co communal ownership and collectivism. Uh, before leading into the next tweet of the chapter from Professor Tweed at Check Your Privilege, Please, which reads, quote, Glenn Beck, you already admitted socialism's primary goal is to eliminate all classes, including ruling classes. Looks like someone isn't paying attention. Uh, because, of course, right before that, he's talking about uh, how socialists say that uh, the ruling class will redistribute to the rest of society. And, uh, of course, the, the lesson we're going to learn coming out of that tweet is that no socialist has ever gotten rid of a ruling class. They just say they're going to do that, and they come in, and then they become the ruling class and never give up power. Yeah. We get to it, one of my favorite brain dumps of the chapter. Well, we, we get another Karl Marx, Ghost of Karl Marx. So i got to mention that that's there. But then we get to my... I think my favorite brain dump of the chapter, because uh, this, this about made my head explode, because it, re it's, it reads, ADD moment, and then the, underneath it is, top three examples of temporary dictatorships where the dictator voluntarily relinquished power. Benedict, ooh, ooh. you got any examples for us? <laughs> I do, you know yeah. I have five. Okay, so, <laughs> first of all, the most famous yes, one, he's on my list. who was literally the... The, the model. Oh, I should mention that stuff. he he, he said um, top three was... examples, and then there were one, two, three, and they were all blank next to it, which I, I filled in in my book. Yeah, we'll see what yeah. Bendix examples are. I did yeah. too, and I <laughs> added another two. 
Um, <laughs> so I have Citizen Oz. He was made dictator by the Romans twice and famously renounced the powers twice. Um, which, you know, that's the first example of that happening. I have one that's a little controversial that I'm going to save to the end. Okay. Um, but then I have uh, Juan Carlos I. Yes, who, that was one uh, that was at the top of my list. Spain. And he did... He, he did become a king, to be fair, but he was the successor to Francisco Franco, who then um, rolled back the fascist state that he inherited right. from Franco and was content with being a essentially constitutional monarch. So that's another one. Um, you could also argue the monarchy in the UK for this as well, but that's, <laughs> again, I, that's not on my list. Um, another one, Indira Gandhi in India. Yep. Um, that's a, another person who assumed emergency powers and then held an election, which she then lost. Um, Daniel Ortega. To be fair, thinking Central that America, she would win the election. Uh, she the did midst- think she would win that election. Yeah, she did. She did. But she still called an election. Um, Daniel Ortega in Central America, uh, as, as you, uh, are, I am sure, are aware from the Contra scandal, the Sandinistas, mm-hmm. Daniel Ortega was, had the support of the Sandinistas, called an election. Um, and then here's my controversial one that I'm keen to get your guys' opinion on. Any guesses for who I might say? George Washington. George Washington. Was I correct? Hmm. Damn! Yeah, that makes me feel that's good. That's right. I'm. I mean, I'm a. Yeah. Yeah. How do we? How do we feel about Washington as dictator who who gave it up his? Depends powers? what your definition of dictator is, I guess. I mean, they wanted to make him a monarch. It does. Like a lot of people wanted to make Washington a monarch. He had the opportunity, but he chose yeah. to give up power. I think it counts. And the the whole point of all of this, all all the ones you had, were on my list. So yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I I think it counts just because Cincinnatus was his political yes. hero, and I think he's the guy really we a bit, literally a named Cincinnati himself. after. <laughs> but but the the whole reason I bring this up is not because it really matters, right? He's not making a, a serious point here because it doesn't have anything to do with you know what socialists actually want or anything. But the whole point is a Glenn Beck. You you are Glenn Beck. You were the guy who was supposed to be America, America, America. You should have at least been able to put George Washington or Cincinnatus on that list. You should have been able to do that. It doesn't make sense that you don't have to. But that. he doesn't have to. Yeah, he doesn't true. fucking have to. These people have fourth grade leaving, reading levels that read these books. So they don't have any fucking clue. They can tell this is part well, of the it's, problem. Well, it's the preaching to the choir, right? It's, it's, it's all about preaching to the choir. It's right, not like yeah. anyone is coming to these books to actually try and challenge themselves or learn anything real. It's about reinforcing what they already believe. Yeah. Did you have, yeah. any, did you have anyone else on the list? No, Kevin, your, list, the, your the, list tracked exactly like to... with mine. <laughs> I didn't have Ortega, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you, our list basically tracked exactly with each other. So, yes, we're, we're of course, uh, we're in the, the uh, socialists are all dictators section of the chapter. Uh, and he gives us another one of his convenient little examples of things that have never happened, uh, especially in the United States. This example might have happened somewhere, but it's never happened in the United States. And it's certainly not what modern American socialists want. And he tells us, quote, imagine you're a business owner who spent decades building a company you love toiling away day and night to develop innovative new ideas, risking everything you had to pursue your passion, 
Then a Marxist socialist government comes to power and begins confiscating your property. <laughs> At first, through a variety of new taxes. Soon, it will take the entire business and transfer ownership to the local community in the name of fairness. First off, I can't help but example that that's basically him trying to rewrite, rewrite Atlas Shrugged, but he doesn't even have the level of talent to do that. He's trying to put that example out there. Also, I, I just love imagining like the, the American business owner who's trying to sell like kitschy <laughs> shit and just like, I've poured my heart and soul into this. And then the government came and took all my my The government profits. came and took my company. Well, it's just what the right so good at is fear-mongering bullshit. That's Absolutely, right. That's, right. That's right. I also, I, I, I particularly love the bit, you didn't quite get to it, Kevin, but he said, you've lost everything you worked so hard for in the span of just a few months, and now you're just supposed to continue working and living like it never happened. This is never what occurs in yes. the wake of socialist revolutions. He's right. No, normally, the U.S. slaps hyper-aggressive sanctions on the country <laughs> and tries to cripple its economy. Yeah, I mean, that, that line that you read is basically where I, where I, I saw more clearly the atlas shrugging he was trying to do there but there's a couple things in there i also want to pick out one is another example of him comparing taxes to marxism for not accurate at all and the second is him getting into uh the idea which i think was brought up a little bit earlier of communities taking control of businesses and as someone who's pretty active in the local cooperative uh circle uh you know i'll say i'm, I'm part of a group that's putting together um, an organization at my law school to support cooperatives um, into to becoming, you know, new businesses. Um, nobody is talking about taking away businesses. What people are talking about is the baby boomers are all retiring, and now is a prime time to convert businesses from single ownership to worker-owned. But through buying them from the owners... And we talked to, we talked about the benefits of worker-owned right. companies last week or a couple of weeks ago. Well, the the boomers sure as fuck weren't Fucking doing those. Boomers. But no, that's bastards. what what people are really talking about. What modern American <laughs> socialists are talking about is not taking these businesses from people. It's oh, let's provide uh, low-cost subsidized loans to workers who are trying to buy out the owners of their companies as they retire, so that we can transition into worker-owned businesses, which then keep money in communities rather than engaging in extractive capitalism, which takes funds and moves them out to the suburbs. That's what the fuck we're really talking about, Glenn. You dumbass. That's all we want. Nuance nope. doesn't nope. sell. But then, ladies and gentlemen, right. we get yes. back to Venezuela. Venezuela. And I, Venezuela. Oh. And I, I just it. wrote in the margins of my book, hey, Glenn, have you met my friend Dinesh? His wife is from there. You might have heard of it. Oh, Jesus. Because <laughs> I am another hack. Oh, we've, we've done a Dinesh D'Souza book. That yeah, was one of our first. Dinesh is one of our long lost loves. Who will Watch never get away movies. from? Oh yeah, we've watched both of the most recent ones. We did, we did. Oh, we, we, I saw one of them in the theater. <laughs> you saw one in the theater? Town. Fuck yeah, I saw oh. the. Was it the um? Uh, what was it? Was it the Obama deception? No, what was it the two thousand? Uh, More recent. So we're talking the Big Lie, or, or the one with Abraham the, Lincoln. That one. Yes, that yes. One. Uh, we and watched. I saw it. <laughs> Wait, you saw that in a redneck town? You said. Oh. Tell us. And I saw it in Jackson, Tennessee. Oh. And let me tell you, these these people were no younger than like 75 or something. <laughs> these were old ass people. And we were sitting next to a lady who got mad because we kept laughing because they brought up George Soros. I just fucking lost it. <laughs> that movie came out. Me, 
I'm trying to watch the movie. We reviewed that with uh, Thomas Smith and, and Aaron Rabinowitz. Um, but when it came out, me and Benedict were talking about me driving up to New York where he was and going to see it at the premiere because we, fi- we figured, how hard could it be to get into oh, that man. fucking premiere? It can't be that difficult. It can't be that fucking difficult. We didn't end up doing it, but uh, I really look hard. back and wish we had. But So that gets us to the next tweet of the chapter, which is from Neil DiCaprio Cortez again. And it reads, Ah, here comes the right-wing fear-mongering about Venezuela. You radio talkers love talking about Venezuela and how it proves socialism is destined to fail in the United States. There's only one problem, Glenn Beck. It's not a socialist country. I just love the way he writes arguing with himself. It's so... Nobody would use those fucking It words. is funny. No. Well, also because he's like, I know that I'm about to write some bullshit, right. so I better preface this. And he starts <laughs> off, before he even really gets into bullshit. Venezuela, talking a little bit about Joseph Stalin, right? He has a brain dump of a quote from the uh, Time Magazine article when weird. Stalin was Person of the Year in 1943. And, like, remember, Stalin had basically just won World War II and turned around the USSR— and there's uh, economists to this day will look at, you know, what happened in the Soviet Union and be like, how the fuck did they change things so fast? How did they industrialize so quickly? There was a legitimate, right, state centralized control of the way he did it did have a remarkable effect on uh, the industrialization of the country. and the mess they, work, they also uh, did uh, kill a lot of people that got in the way. <laughs> they, yeah. they also did. Famine. They also did. Yeah, that. famine. There's like the biggest famine. But I, I just love whenever they point out that like but Stalin was person Kevin, of the you, year. As you say, as you say, the USSR did win World War Two. Like that World yes. War Two doesn't end the way it does without the USSR crushing it. Not at all. Not at all. But so we get the usual now turning to Venezuela, uh, fear mongering about Venezuela, talking about people eating their pets, people eating zoo animals, all that sort of usual stuff. But then we flash back. You've He's been to tell Skid Row, us- sorry. <laughs> He's going to tell us how Venezuela was this, this paradise in the 1940s and 50s. It was, it was just so remarkable. They had so much wealth. And he writes, quote, Despite the political chaos of the 1940s and 1950s, which I will remind you were multiple mil- military dictators uh, who murdered citizens and increased the national debt by 2,500%, creating a crisis that Venezuela literally never recovered from, uh, Venezuela's vast oil reserves provided its citizens with tremendous riches, and Venezuela's proven oil reserves top 300 billion barrels. So he's just outlining to us that they have the resource curse. That's precisely it. And we should talk about the resource curse, actually. It's a, it's a huge... Um, it's a huge... There's a theory that that's, that's why America, the U.S., built up its manufacturing so well because it basically had no resources for the majority of its history well i don't know if that's i don't know if that's the case i mean i've i've in undergrad right i was a political scientist we talked about the the resource curse plenty of times and more often when you're talking about it you're talking about the case where a country that doesn't have industrial capacity but has resources is forced to sell off its natural wealth in the form of resources to outsiders, mm-hmm. outside countries who do have the industrial technology, knowledge, and capability to come in and extract those resources. Yeah, That's but typically I, the I mean, problem there, you talk there, about. The there is also curse. the thing with it that it's you never have to develop your industrial capacity because you have the resources. That's what happened with a lot of right. South America. 
Right. And obviously with countries like Venezuela, like Russia, they get into the problem of being overly dependent on those resources. Which is exactly what happens. It, it is exactly what happens with Venezuela. They went through multiple oil price crashes, which crippled their economy. Yeah, which he doesn't tell us about, apart from the no. one that mattered to his argument. African nations are like that, too. Yeah. Right. Lots of African nations. Right, right. I mean, I started off... They're rich off... in mineral reserves, but they don't have anything. I started off my, uh, my, the show today with my blood diamond quote. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, it's yeah, the resource sorry. curse. It's everywhere. So he tells us, you know, he goes through a little bit of the political history, glossing over, of course, all the capitalists on his side who committed horrible crimes as dictators. Uh, and then gets, of course, to the eminent evil Hugo Chavez, who he reminds us had previously been arrested for his part in a failed military coup. Which he then compares to Hitler, of course. Yes. Not mentioning, of course, that that failed coup was in response to a plan put in place by the capitalist dictators which massacred hundreds of citizens in the streets. That was why they tried a coup. I, I also like, just before we get to Chavez, he, he says, he talk, he's talking about the welfare programs being brought in in the late 70s and 80s. And he says, and this, this tells me everything I need to know about Glenn Beck, to win political favor, numerous welfare programs were created. Not to fucking help people or to make sure people right. weren't dying in the streets or starving. To win political favor, that's why you bring welfare programs in. That's the only reason to do it. Yeah, poverty is is a moral failing. So obviously that's <laughs> God. Of course, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or you know, fucking die in the streets. Fuck yeah. And if you don't have bootstraps, you go use those tiny little ten year old fingers to work at a shop where you can make bootstraps. Yeah, my, my oh God, my my, and then again he gets onto he. This is a huge oxymoron. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he goes: the more government seized control of the economy, the more the economy declined. Although by 1982, Venezuela was still the wealthiest country in Latin America, <laughs> and its workers earned some of the highest wages. What? It does Jesus. look. It doesn't matter if he's contradicting himself. He's Glenn Motherfucking Beckman. He has a, a radio show. He didn't show. even finish the sentence. No, he didn't. He doesn't need to. Yeah. He doesn't fucking. It's just. He could write literally anything, and people fucking read. But he didn't. I don't even know why the thing is, he didn't even have to put that contradiction in. He could just be. He could just claim that the economy declined, and everyone would be like, "Okay." But then he's like, "But they were still super rich, and the workers got paid well." <laughs> Cognitive dissonance, man. That's all it is. But so he runs through a little bit more of Chavez's history, right? Talking about nationalizing parts of the economy, and you know, people can talk about whether those were smart strategies or not. Glenn isn't interested in that. It's all socialism. It's all evil. Uh, and then he gets to talking about all those modern American socialists who just loved them some Hugo Chavez. Uh, starting off with... Again, Sean Penn is not <laughs> our friend. Like, I don't know who he thinks... Like, who does he think we are? Like, oh, well, Look, Sean Penn I don't know about it, you, so you guys but me, Sean Penn, and his boat full of guns at Hurricane Katrina, uh, we're all best friends. We have weekly poker games. Me, Sean Penn, and the boat full of guns. Uh, that's, that's who I hang out with. Yeah, Sean Penn, one of his examples of people who love... Who love Chavez? Also, David Sirota uh, and Jose Serrano. Um, those are, yeah, those are both other examples. David Sirota is a Bernie speechwriter. Honestly, I don't. Yeah, and uh, oh, okay. and uh, the uh, 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 Serrano was a Democratic congressman. Not exactly mainstream at no. the time they were making yeah, these I comments, mean... though. Like, <laughs> really? Why don't you get Michael Moore in there if you're going to Yeah, I'm sure him. Michael Moore defended Absolutely. Shit, he's a prime. They love to fuck him and up. And who doesn't <laughs> love shitting on Michael Moore? Everyone loves shitting on Michael Moore. That's 
It's the meme of It's the meme of the two ha- the the African American arm and the white guy's arm clasped meeting in the middle and sh- yeah. shitting on Michael Moore. We're all down for it. We're all down for it. But uh, so yes, he he brings next that after Chavez died, Nicolas Maduro took power, and of course, nobody likes Maduro either. No, right? we really. Uh, Maduro's a fucking dictator. We all agree. Hey, hey there, Glenn Beck. I'm a I'm one of those modern American socialists you're talking about. Um, I don't like Maduro, so I don't know anyone who does. So I don't know. It's it's again the straw. Man. Oh no, there there are people. The the tankies. Love that is Maduro. true. I, I, I don't know. What, the tankies love Maduro. The pro-Stalin people that still somehow exist uh-huh. love Maduro. Yep, yep. There's a couple of them out there. You run into them from now now and then. But yeah, it's more how terrible is Venezuela. It's the, the eating the zoo animals. It's the toilet paper shortages. Did did we like the bit where we, we, we revisit toilet paper yes. shortages post Yes, I did like where he wrote, quote, Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like massive toilet paper shortages is about as good of a reason to, as any to get the heck out of Venezuela. Or the, U- That's what I, yes. <laughs> or the United oh, no, States really. in spring 2020. <laughs> Oh, weird. I did go through, like like most I also, people, I went through a period where I had to use paper towels for a few days. We all had oh that. Oh, no, that's rough. Literally. We all had that in 2020. Man, um, aren't we glad we're on to 2021 I, now? A <laughs> day. Yes. You need a bidet. Yeah. Look, I, I would yeah, love to have weird. one, I, but uh, I guess we just start talking about bidets because fuck this chapter. But my problem with bidets, let me tell you. <laughs> let me just tell you my problem with bidets. <laughs> I don't. I, I find the folding that I have to do difficult. <laughs> Look, the water pressure is either way too high or too low. There's no way to hit that sweet spot. And there's one thing I don't need. It's it's getting my asshole blasted with scalding water. So now speak for yourself. <laughs> I I will say someday I do hope one of my dreams is to have one of those super fancy uh, Toto toilets, the one with it's all computerized, has the remote control and the little bidet that comes out. Sprays you. I'm I'm totally down with one of those. I absolutely. If, if there's one luxury item I'm gonna shell all the cash out for, it's a luxury toilet. <laughs> Especially with the amount of uh, freeze dried food I eat, it's definitely a necessity. Mm-mm. I like that he uh, he talks about hyperinflation without mentioning the example that everyone knows of hyperinflation, which is Weimar Germany, yeah. which is a famous capitalist <laughs> society um, that that also had ridiculous levels of hyperinflation uh, that were caused by the Great Economic Depression of the 20s and 30s. So let, let's not pretend that that only happens in socialist countries. Right. I mean, I remember in grade school, the uh, the image you always got of that was like a wheelbarrow full of cash. And they'd be like, that's how much it cost to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah. The one that stuck with me always was being told that people used to pay for their dinner before they <laughs> ate because it would cost more by the time they were Yeah, dinner. I remember that one too. I, I, I don't know how accurate that one is. That feels like one of those modern day like myths about things that happen. Like they, it in does, Weimar, yeah. Germany, had like a, a ticker in the back that told them what the inflation rate was now by the end of the yeah, meal. Yeah, like the national debt counter. Right, exactly. So, of course... We're moving on. We've gotten through collectivization. Now we're going to learn about how all of our individual rights are going to go away, which is, of course, what mm. they've been doing in Venezuela. We learned from Dinesh D'Souza when we reviewed his most recent movie, They're Taking All Your Guns. Uh, we had that uh, that moment of <laughs> gun girl, Venezuelan gun girl, who came on for that movie. <laughs> yeah, and we get a brain dump talking about the rabbit plan uh, right below that. I don't, I don't know what the point was, right? Venezuela tried to get people to raise rabbits for food, and... It didn't work out that well. So that's socialism, I guess. 
But we get now to the, <laughs> the next tweet from Neil DiCaprio Cortez, which is, quote, and, and like, like I've mentioned before, all these chapters, the tweets just continually are ceding ground to Glenn Beck and backing down as he so masterfully destroys all of their arguments. <laughs> but, but this one Sorry. is now saying, quote, I'm not saying the socialist government of Venezuela has done everything right. Obviously it hasn't, but you're totally wrong to say that socialist governments always take away individual rights. Some economic rights, in scare quotes, might have to be eliminated under a socialist system. But that's just the cost of creating a society in which people are truly free from billionaire oligarchs. When it comes to other freedoms, like freedom of speech and religious rights, socialism has even stronger protections than many capitalist countries. And I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but all of the uh, the tweeters that we get have pictures next to them. They have they have thumbnail photos. And uh, Neo DiCaprio Cortez is apparently a guy in a pink pussy hat. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned that. That's the only reason I want to bring that up. Feminazi, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but yep, now Glenn it. is going to um, tell I us. Like, I like. I. I... Sorry, I was just going to say, the, uh, the, the, when we talk about rights, and no one really acknowledges this, we get to define what rights are. So, like, mm-hmm. you could say that the capitalist system denies us the right to die, not to die of preventable diseases. Like, that's my right, I think. But, you know, that's not something Glenn wants to engage with. Right. It's about framing as positive rights or negative rights. Right. So a positive yeah. right would be the right to do something or the right to have, the, like you said, the right not to die. And negative rights would be, for example, the right to, you know, to ha- not have the government do something, the right to, to not have something or not to have something be done to you. But, uh, yeah, uh, Republicans, right, Glenn Beck, all of them uh, seem very into their already decided upon stable of rights, like the Second Amendment and their fucked up version of free speech that they think uh, let, allows them to have all the Dr. Seuss books they want. I'm not sure what exactly it is these days. Oh, by the way, I think that was the best marketing ploy the Dr. Seuss estate has ever done. <laughs> because it was, them that, it was them that were like, we're discontinuing these six books. And then the next day, the bestsellers on Amazon were all Dr. Seuss books. So who fucking wins there? The Dr. Hell Seuss yeah. estate. Exactly. They always do the same shit and they never fucking learn. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, it seemed to have worked. I, you're right. They they seem to have sold a lot of Dr. Seuss books in the last couple of days. But I got ha- Mr. Potato Head. I bet you <laughs> I'm sorry. Heads. It's Potato Head. Use I'm the, sorry. Use the proper terminology on our fucking show. Potato Head. I want to go see the fucking sales of Potato Head how much they've gone up <laughs> in the last week or so. I can't imagine. They are the worst at boycotts. They really fucking are. <laughs> Owning the producers by buying their product. Yeah. <laughs> It's outstanding. So, of course, now we're going to talk, like I said, about how socialists are all here to take away your rights. That's what they're all about. One of the examples he starts off with is an article by Jonah Ben-Abraham in The Socialist Worker, which is a very interesting publication. I've run across it from time to time. I've never really read from it much. But he spends a lot of time talking about this article. And compared to what Glenn is presenting us with here... What he's actually doing in this article is having a very detailed and nuanced discussion about what does it mean to have freedom of speech under the socialist system that, that the socialist worker, which is certainly more is certainly closer to the socialist ideal that Glenn is is pushing as what all socialists want than people yeah, like AOC or Bernie. Socialism. Right. They're they're actual socialists. That's what the socialist worker is. They are actual socialists. So the quote he pulls. Uh, from this article called Looking Closer at Free Speech, is, quote, 
We must also not make the mistake, as many of the liberal left do, of fetishizing the call for freedom of speech for all. Our ultimate goal is to smash fascism along with capitalism and build a new world in which racist, sexist, and any number of other oppressive conclusions are unthinkable. Which is, is the refutation of the thing that famously breaks liberalism, isn't it? Which is the tolerance of intolerance, right? Like some liberals would argue that you have to be tolerant even of intolerance. And that's how fascism wins, because intolerance trumps tolerance, always, eventually. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting, because this article that Glenn is, is quoting from here actually goes on to have a very detailed discussion of, uh, right, what that means. And what he gets into, and what he's really talking about is, they're not on the side of the state limiting any speech. The socialist worker isn't, or at least this author isn't because they know that it would be used against them, or they believe it would be used against them to limit their speech, to promote yeah, a socialist... Yeah, the state-limiting stuff famously happens to people on the left, not right. people on the right, generally. Like... Right, and unlike Glenn would like you to believe from the snippets he pulls out of this, they don't even support black bloc action, the socialist worker. They don't even support using you know Antifa to go and shut down speakers and stuff. They're not in favor of that. Uh, they actually have a much more nuanced position of we should protest these events by right-wing shitbags. We should be there, we should be outside, we should be chanting, but we shouldn't give them any opportunity to use it against us. It's a very interesting article that Glenn Beck almost certainly did not read the entirety of. Nope. Yeah. Because it's nuance, also- again, does not sell. Yeah. It's also just like, don't invite fascists to speak if you don't have to. Like, that's a basic tenet. It really is. I mean, and that, that's what the article spends a lot of time talking about, right? It talks about how we should handle these things. Uh, and I, I don't want to get into just talking about that article. I think it's too good for our show because we only talk about the bad stuff. But uh, mm. I thought it was very interesting. I may not agree with all of it, but I thought it was very interesting. And, and yeah, like you said, Chris, Glenn doesn't have any room for nuance in his life. But the next scaremongering uh, brain dump he puts on the page is another ADD moment with just headlines from The Times, Reason, and The Independent about police arresting people in web tro- uh, who are web trolls in the UK. Again, who does he think is in charge in the UK? <laughs> Socialists? Yeah, yes. So- Socialist Britain that's been under a conservative government since 2010. I, I can't imagine. And we've talked a couple times, I think, about some of these cases, right? You have uh, that shithead with the uh, uh, baked Alaska, right? With his, his Nazi dog and shit like that. Was that him or was that somebody else? No, Count Dankula. That's right, Count Dankula, that shithead. With, <laughs> of course, with, Count Dankula. With his Nazi salute dog. Sorry. You have uh, the lady who harassed a trans woman online. There are people who, they're getting arrested or they're getting caught for harassment. They're not just getting caught for saying mean things online. They're harassing people. That's why people are facing consequences. Now, yeah. let me, and I, I'm not going to play devil's advocate per se, but compared to, I think it's too much in this country. The First Amendment is probably, I used to be like a, a free speech absolutist, but I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and when compared to some of the like libel laws in the UK are fucking stringent as shit, you can't say anything partly about somebody else and there are there are hate laws in of course germany you can't post anything about nazis which makes Mm -hmm. sense of course but there are also other laws that we people in america may see it may see alien to us because we're so used to basically people saying whatever the fuck they want right so there is a case to be made that yes there are some rules that are different 
But I would argue that we are on the wrong side of that, and though we should make some rules, more rules regarding free speech in this country. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, the UK, yes, it is much easier to sue someone for libel, um, especially, I, and I, it, it does result in the press being um, quite different because they. It, it, essentially the cost of being sued for libel is prohibitive to a lot of stories even being published even right. if they're like fairly solid stories um so it does it does influence the amount of investigative journalism that can be done unless it's literally ironclad um which is i, th- I think a positive of america's th- free speech laws but i i think there are certainly and don't call me a socialist but like there are limitations that should exist i think i agree yeah, and I mean, as a law student, I think a lot of us have, have the free speech absolutist mindset, um, especially at the beginning of our law school career. But I think I'm more on the side of, certainly, I, I don't think increasing libel laws are a good thing. I don't think more, as someone who talks about other people uh, <laughs> into a microphone, um, I don't like the idea of more libel laws because people fuck up. Um, and a lot of the, the things that happen in the UK, uh, I get worried when I see like, oh, somebody somebody was just wrong and they got sued for libel and lost. That scares me. Um, I do agree yeah. in a lot of cases because my, my concept, concept of the freedom of speech is there is speech that prevents other people from speaking. And that's usually in the, the realm of hate speech. Um, and I think that sort of shouldn't be protected. The old phrase that people like to say is your rights end where mine begin. So when you have speech like coming from Richard Spencer and David Duke and fuckers like that, uh, you know, the fucking Nazis, the right likes, um, their speech is limiting the speech of other people. Their speech is attacking other people. Milo, you know, I mean, I went to UC Berkeley. I was there for the Milo protests. I was, I was protesting when Milo was there. I was outside. You had like eight people smashing some lights and shit and the rest of us, thousands of students peacefully chanting. That was the reality of the situation, right? And so I completely think that on, in a lot of those cases, the best we can do is, you know, we need to show that we are re- we're resisting that sort of hate speech. Because he came, he had a plan when he was coming to Berkeley to out undocumented students at our school. He had said as much before he even went to go make his talk. And we weren't allowed, we, you know, we weren't going to stand by and just do nothing. So we went out and we protested. And that kind of shit needs to happen. But at the same time, the, you, you shouldn't have a right to go to a university and out students of that university um, without consequences. They, they shouldn't have, be required to allow you on campus to begin with, right? That's the sort of thing where if you're going to be attacking students of a university, you have no right to speak at that university. That's, so that's, that's another, another area where I think there are, are things that need to be looked at. But we get in a, a little bit away from the book, right? Where we get more yep. examples, he's going back to the Soviet Union, because, of course, the Soviet Union and Venezuela, two, the two uh, most important examples of socialism we could possibly have, mm. um, he tells us a Soviet bunch... Soviet Union's a pretty good one, to be fair. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he tells us a bunch about how the Soviet Constitution had a bunch of rights that were guaranteed to people, and, of course, they weren't... This is weird, too, because he's like, yeah, constitutions aren't worth the paper they're written on if the state decides right. they're worthless. Right, right! Like, Sure. <laughs> Glenn Beck and all everyone on the right always conveniently ignores the fact that it is literally the same exact situation we had in the United States. 
That is yeah. literally the same exact situation. We didn't have robust freedom of speech in the United States until, you know, things that happened under the Warren court when they expanded a lot of rights for people, for, for socialists who were speaking in the United States. People who, there was a, a you know, a famous case uh, about a guy who went to a courtroom and I believe he's wearing a fuck the draft jacket uh, during Vietnam. Uh, and the, the Supreme Court eventually said that's his freedom of speech. He can do that. But people didn't have that kind of freedom of speech that Glenn thinks is so great until relatively recent in our history. Within my parents' yeah. lifetimes, you can't claim to have some great claim to all these individual freedoms when the entirety of the South was segregated until, again, my parents' lifetimes. You can't make that claim. But, yeah, and I mean, the other thing being, like, literally, if the state decided that it didn't like the Constitution anymore and had enough support, we don't have to abide by the Constitution. That's just a piece of paper that we wrote some stuff down on at the end of the day. And we pretend that we care what it says for now until the situation changes. That is how constitutions work. Well, and the, but the, the sort of things, the sort of arguments that Glenn presents about why the Soviet Union didn't abide by those things that were written in the Constitution, things like, I think he says particularly that the collective interests have to predominate over the individual interests. Those were the same sort of justifications used to limit individual freedoms in the United States. It's, it's literally the same about freedom of speech in particular, right? Protecting the collective against this terrible speech, against Eugene Debs handing out pamphlets, against, mm. the, uh, against World War I, right? It was the same Gosh. fucking thing. <laughs> I love Eugene Debs. <laughs> so we get to... Another uh, tweet, and this is going to be the last one, I think, of the, the, the part of the chapter that we're doing. I should say, once again, this chapter is incredibly so long. So fucking long. 60 fucking pages. So we split it in half again, and we're doing the first half this week, the second half. We didn't want to make Chris Oh, read. that was just the first yeah, half. We yeah, only, we didn't want to make Chris read You're only doing the first the half. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I got to read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, you can go buy your own copy if you like, but I don't recommend it. Uh, I, I only ever buy these books used because I hate the idea of giving oh, I'll money. I'll never buy them. I know. Trust me. I don't know. But, <laughs> I'll go on BitTorrent and take <laughs> So the tweet we get now is from Rashida Resistance at AOC underscore 2024 underscore squad for life. Uh, and it reads, quote, <laughs> isn't, that just, isn't that just incredible? I, I got to give Glenn. They I, are I, quite funny. I despise Glenn Beck. He's a terrible person. Uh, but that that little bit right there, that's funny for a reason I don't think he intended. But I have to give him credit for all these Twitter names and handles that they at least make me chuckle. Uh, but it reads, quote, Okay, but Glenn Beck, that's the Soviet Union and Venezuela. That's not America. Socialists and progressives in America don't believe in limiting religious freedom and freedom of speech. Glenn Beck's response to that is, Oh, you don't think they do? Because he goes in now to a couple of his examples. And he starts off with the California Alien Land Act in 1913, when California Governor Hiram Johnson, who, fun fact, my mom went to Hiram Johnson High School in, Cal in oh. Sacramento, California, mm. um, signed in a law of the California Alien Land Act, which made it basically impossible for Japanese immigrants to own land in the state. And uh, yeah, that, that was a bad thing that happened. 
Uh, I yeah, get again, the, all of these examples, like nobody thinks these were good things. No, now. exactly. Like, no, like <laughs> no progressive is like, you know what? Yeah, the Japanese internment, that was good. Like, no, nobody thinks that. Yeah, what? Right, because that's his next example is the internment of Japanese Americans. And and you're, you're completely right. No modern progressive certainly thinks these were good things. But he also wants to, for Hiram Johnson was uh, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, progressive party vice presidential running mate. That's why he brings it up. He needs someone he can call a progressive. Yeah, and then the internment, of course, happened under uh fdr who of course another yeah, progressive i know oh yeah president johnson famous non-racist lyndon johnson <laughs> who everybody everybody knows yeah, wasn't that's a so huge ridiculous racist. everybody knows he was the biggest fucking well but he, <laughs> he, he was well-meaning in, in some and he did teach at a school for helping black mm-hmm. children yes but he was racist as fuck yeah yeah you know, we all recognize just, all, look let me tell you something glenn beck all of our grandparents all all us white people all of our grandparents were racist. You may have accidentally heard them say the N-word growing up a couple times, like I did, but let me tell you, even if you didn't, your grandparents were probably oh, racist. But moving swiftly on. He particularly points out Earl Warren, who he calls Progressive California Attorney General Earl Warren. Earl Warren was a lifelong Republican, was nominated to the Supreme Court by a Republican, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and was known as the single greatest Supreme Court justice, of the, the, I would say the greatest, not the greatest justice, but he was definitely the greatest chief justice of the Supreme Court to ever live in the ways that he expanded individual light, rights and civil liberties. You can't claim him in a part of the book where you're trying to say the progressives and the socialists all hate individual freedoms. That's literally not Earl Warren's thing. Yes, he was on the wrong side of Japanese internment. He did support it, and he was wrong in that area. That's a black mark on his legacy. But you cannot, you cannot credibly claim Earl Warren as someone who sought to limit individual rights and freedoms. Who's your greatest individual justice, Kevin? Is that Thurgood Marshall? Oh. Thurgood Marshall is one that always gets thrown around there as, you know, he's obviously... Uh, 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 history making history making certainly i think if you go back you go look at like um uh oliver wendell holmes had mm-hmm. amazing uh, amazing opinions um abe fortas who uh left the court after a scandal in the 60s uh but was a legendary lawyer and wrote some just brilliant opinions i as a law student i look at at jurists in a different way i think than other people because i think i don't look at the outcomes of their cases often so much as how incredible was their legal argument? Uh, I think I just look at it a little bit different. But yeah, there's there. I don't know if I have like a top ten ranking. I think Earl Warren's up there on my list, um, but I don't. I don't know if I have a like a top ten. All right, but take the, us out with the ACA then. Well, the last the last part of the book we get is him leading into what's going to continue in the second half of this chapter. Him complaining about the Affordable Care Act, and of course. Mm-hmm. His claim that all the Affordable Care Act was about was stripping away religious rights and freedoms because it made, it made religious people include birth control in their insurance plans. That's, well, that falls a bit flat, doesn't it? It's ridiculous, well, man. And the, the subtitle of the next chapter, just, uh, next, uh, next section yes. is single payer abortion. Yes. Just to, so people can see where he's going. <laughs> That's literally the name of it. Single. The, the next, yeah, yeah, the next heading great. that we get to uh, um, after uh, when we start the next uh, the next half of the chapter is single payer abortion. Yeah, 
Well, that's subtle. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. So, Chris, that brings us to the end of this part, the first half of Chapter 3 of Arguing with Socialists. How do you feel, having learned a little bit more about Glenn Beck's thinking? I feel a little dirty. I'm going to have to take a shower. <laughs> uh, I, what can you really say? It's Glenn Beck. I mean, did you? Exp- the, the thing that kind of irritates me the most is the fact that and in every lie, there's like a seed of truth. And he knows just enough. He says just enough mm-hmm. to people to think, well, the people who read his books think, oh, well, maybe he knows something. Well, he doesn't really know what the fuck he's talking about. He just knows how to pick up certain concepts that are widely known, but he doesn't use any nuance to explain them. You know, and that's what I think that's what really pisses me off the most. Honestly. Yeah, it's always about selectively choosing what information he wants to present and then pretending, you're right, as though nuance doesn't exist. That's really his game plan. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We're sorry for making you suffer through this chapter, but if anybody wants to find more of you, where can they find you? Well, I got the OnlyFans. No, wait. OnlyFans? (laughs) No, just kidding. Uh, You can check out the show on YouTube. I'm doing a live show now. Just look at Postmodern Polymath Podcast. It's everywhere, YouTube, Twitter. On Twitter, I'm Triple Poe. Uh, we're on Facebook, you know, the usual places where you find podcasts and stuff. We do a, I try to do a show every week with my long suffering and sometimes appearing co-host Lyman, uh, who comes on whenever he feels like it, basically. And, um, <laughs> it's basically what I do. Yeah. On this show. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to come check it out, if you ain't got, you got nothing better to do, you know. Give it a All right. Watch. Oh, come on, Chris. It's better come than on. that. Come on. So give it the hard no, sound. It's, um, it's really not, to be honest with you. <laughs> Make sure to check him out, everybody. It's a lot of fun. We thank you again for coming on. We know how hard it is to get through these pieces of crap we read. But anyways, that's it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Our newest patron, Allison, Corey Bidding, Megan Ruth, Savia Kino, Glowrung the Deceiver, Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, biff, bam, pow, zip, goodbye. Bye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.